Hello and welcome to Season 3 of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. The theme for Season 3 is better. Better everything, from AI to being fairer, big ideas to body language, if it's important to being a fairer person, business or planet, an expert and I talked about it. What follows is an edited recording, as Mouthwash is a live show created just for Twitter spaces, so the quality is more conference call than podcast sound booth. Sponsors are really important to me, so please take a moment to visit Ecology. They planted a tree in the TBD forest for every live listener we had. And if you want to offset your carbon footprint, you can do that easily. Just nip to ecology.com forward slash TBD conference and sign up. That's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com forward slash TBD conference. Also, I was honoured to partner with and test out Spaces Dashboard, the helpful tool that's making it super easy to find great audio on Twitter. Check them out on Twitter at Spaces Dashboard, all one word, and mount from Mouthwash for a surprise. Mouthwash is the audio show of TBD, the conference that people call TED without the bullshit. It's going hybrid March 31st, 2022. So get your tickets for the in-person event or the global live stream at universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Universe.com forward slash TBD conference. Use the code Mouthwash. You'll even get 25% off every ticket you buy. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. Sign up to the newsletter on my Twitter profile. That's Paul underscore underscore Armstrong. And you'll get informed about all future seasons of Mouthwash. Trust me, you'll want to hear what we have coming up. Finally, as with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season three of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident. Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of TBD Conference. The conference attendees say is like Ted without the BS. It is a strange time around the world. Zoom fatigue, climate change, the great resignation to the metaverse. A lot seems scary, unfamiliar, and people are rethinking everything from core beliefs to the way they work. Uh, One of those uh, core themes seems to be an emerging desire to improve things and make things, including themselves, better. So that's the theme for season three, better, better everything from AI to PR, body language to open innovation. I'm speaking with massive brains and execs from the likes of Twitter to Walmart, Babylon, startups, making you and the world we live in a better place. Season three includes best-selling authors, security experts, speech coaches, Silicon Valley startups who want to reverse the aging process. That's who we're speaking to today. It's going to be a great season. Make sure you get all the SMS reminders so you don't miss a minute of it. I'll put the link up later. Okay, let's get on with the show. Today, Smart Cookie, as I mentioned, is the co-founder and CEO of Humanity App, an app that focuses on reversing the aging process, which we'll find out a little bit more. Welcome to the show, Peter. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. No worries, no worries. Uh, you did such a good job at TBD in January. I thought I would uh, have you back and that sort of thing. But I'm sure you're wearing a hoodie or I just can't see it and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, typical me, Paul. I was here ready for the, the Twitter spaces with my, with my light on, with my, with my boom speaker uh, microphone and my humanity swag. And I realise, of course, no one can actually see me. So uh, you can so always that... post a photo and make the evidence live. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Before I chat more with Pete, let's uh, talk about where we are, how you can get involved. Uh, Twitter Spaces still for people, so let's explore a bit. Um, on the mobile bit, the top bit is called the Nest. That's where you can see the bit at the moment that says about uh, the lo-fi starting. But if you want to ask a question, um, you can either request the mic, and we'll do it in a thing we call after hours, um, which is after the recording of the podcast, um, or we can, or you can um, retweet. 
the space, which uh, we'll put up there as well. So have a look. We'll add some stuff throughout the show. It's very handy. Lots of people are trying to copy it, but it's uh, pretty unique to Twitter at the moment and that sort of stuff. Um, you can have up to 12 speakers in any space, including the host. Um, and like I said before, request the mic in the bottom left-hand side. Um, we're not really an interactive show yet. We're working. We're figuring out what works and that sort of thing. So the interactive bit is the after hours um but yeah the interesting bit at the beginning is essentially you know go into my dms or use the hashtag and i will work those questions in via the miracle of my tiny mind um if you want uh or you need them click on the three dots uh, for the apps and you'll find captions and all the accessibility features the heart with a plus down the bottom is where all the emojis are hidden so you can give 100 percent uh, claps are coming and that sort of stuff Okay, it is a fun sort of time that we're sort of working through. Um, everyone you entice into the space, so please do retweet the space that you're in and share it, uh, gets a tree planted, courtesy of the beautiful people over at Ecology. Um, TBD has now planted over 10,000 trees, and it really is a subscription for the planet, um, which is a good thing. Um, please take the time, like I said, retweet the space while you're in it, tell people about Ecology, and if you want to find out more, that's ecology.com and E-C-O-L-O-G-I.com. Um, you get a personal profile, you can track your impact, set low carbon goals and everything. Their whole shtick is that they want to reduce half the world's emissions by 2040 through collect. So it's well worth your time and attention. We are also very lucky to be sponsored by Spaces Dashboard. They're the company that's um, helping good audio be found. Uh, they work specifically with um, Twitter Spaces. And whether it's uh, live stuff, upcoming stuff or past stuff, um, you can find all those spaces um, listed there. They really are very good and you can find any something to listen to any time of the day. If you want to try it for yourself, you can still in beta, but nip over to Spaces Dashboard and get yourself an invite just by mentioning Mouthwash as well. Okay, on with the show. Uh, time to shower Pete in, frankly, a filthy amount of emojis. Um, click the heart with a plus and begin tapping furiously while I tell you more about him. And don't stop until the end, all right? So if you're ready, go. Peter Ward is a serial tech entrepreneur, currently co-founder and CEO of Humanity Inc., the next generation health tech startup with a mission to extend the health span of humanity. The aim of humanity is really to slow down or even reverse the aging process. No small task, so we're going to talk about that a bit later. Previously, Pete co-founded a leading tech uh, network called ICE, which forged uh, deep connections amongst founders, investors, tech ecosystem leaders. He knows everybody. Uh, he also sold Wayan, Where Are You Now, uh, to Last Minute Duke lastminutegroup.com uh, and recently uh, quoted a statistic that sort of shocked me into asking him to be on mouthwash 20% of men's lives are now spent in poor health and for women it's 23 those figures are increasing uh, so I felt it important to really have a look at health and life extension when it comes to the thing better thank you Pete uh, what was the thing I forgot out of your bio that you think everyone should know <laughs> um, well, one thing you probably wouldn't see in my bio, but everyone should know, is that if you bring me to a party, I will probably end up singing Living on a Prayer and get everybody uh, jumping up and down at some point. But, um, you know, you'd have to hang out with me to, to, to see that firsthand. Oh, OK. And why Living on a Prayer? Um, to be honest with you, um, just became an anthem that, uh, uh, you know, is now one of the ice anthems. So uh, both uh, for good reasons and bad, I'll, I'll get uh, voice messages and video messages at 4am when people are having a good time without me. Um, but hopefully I'm there to, to join in the fun. But there's actually a quite a nice story to the, to, to, the, to the lyrics, which is really just to remind us all that no matter how far along the journey we are, uh, we've got to hold on to what we've got. Um, because it doesn't matter if we make it or not, but we've got each other, and that's a lot for love. So um... <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, I was just like, he's going to go into the lyrics any second. There it is. Yeah, love it, love it. There um, you go. 
managed to get it into your podcast even yeah, if I didn't hey, talk it through. I don't mind that. I'm sure it'll go on a reel somewhere. Uh, somewhere <laughs> um, what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? Um, the fact that I'd had four and a half hours sleep because I have uh, two wonderful children, one of which uh, is only six months old and uh, was trying my best to be uh, uh, practicing my gratitude affirmations of thank you for being alive, for waking me up before dawn. Wow. Um, so on the one hand, you've got your <laughs> affirmations, which is a tick. We know that from wellness and meditation. And that. Yeah. You've got four hours of sleep, which I wonder how much damage you've done. But anyway, I'm sure you'll tell us uh, during the show. Um, tell us about the last 24 months. How have they been for you? They've been pretty incredible, to be honest. Um, yeah, I mean, we've uh, we've been really uh, focusing on, on this massive problem, uh, which you, of course, have uh, referred to as better ageing. Um, for all of us uh, and really another way of putting that is to extend health span uh, for all humanity but really kind of you know the working backwards you know we, we started with this this idea um, where we were you know we were going around to, to science fantasy camps really at the beginning uh, talking to all these people that were much smarter than, than than we were and asking them really simple relatively dumb questions uh, like um, can you measure aging um, and can you reverse or slow it down? Uh, the thing that was most astonishing for us when we started that uh, at the beginning of those sort of, sort of two years uh, from now was the fact that the, the, the answers were emphatic. Absolutely. Of course. And, uh, and in fact, you can do this uh, just by taking actions in your everyday life. And so for us, it's almost like, how is it that no one really knows this or rather is doing anything about it? And so what we'd realized is that a lot of this was in an echo chamber of people talking about it amongst themselves, particularly the scientists. Um, and there was no real consumer experts who had, you know, worked out how to put this into a simple distinct, actually understand it and take action from it. So I guess the last two years have been a bit of a roller coaster ride in bringing that vision to uh, a reality and, and just seeing it really take hold with all of the people that are, uh, starting to join humanity and, and support our cause, whilst at the same time uh, adapting myself to all the learnings and insights I'm getting to, to, to live healthier longer and, and, and essentially doing uh, uh, the, the dad role of four and a half hours sleep every now and then and working out how I can still uh, make sure that I'm, I'm slowing my aging. So it's, it's definitely been a baptism of fire to, uh, you know, to, to, to take on those two responsibilities at the same time, but it's been absolutely enthralling. Mm. Okay, before we go delve deeper into humanity, let's talk about ageing in general, right? Um, what is it? I think you mentioned in your TBD talk um, that there are four key areas. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a number of different ways to uh, define ageing. I mean, in the simplest terms, it's really the loss of function that happens in over time, aka ageing. Um, there are hallmarks of aging there's seven or eight or nine depending on who you talk to but because most people don't understand what we're talking about when we say things like mitochondrial dysfunction and cellular senescence uh, we've tried to distill that with the sort of backing of our science uh, elders uh, as to how we can put this into a format that people understand and so yes to your to your point Paul you can you can think about this in four key areas it's it, you know first of all the creation of new cells um, so think of stem cell cycles, you know, pluripotent stem cells, which are the embryonic cells that then get differentiated into the cells that form your kidneys and liver and everything else. Uh, there's the removal of uh, dead cells, which is actually what they call zombie or senescent cells, 
which kind of hang around in the body, create inflammation, and there's no, uh, there's not necessarily a, a number of effective ways to remove that. Uh, although things like exercise can can be a part to that. There's the removal of metabolic waste buildup, which which accumulates. You know, it's why actually getting a good night's sleep is is really important. And the final one is the creation of the right number and quality of proteins um, for proteostasis. So this is really what leads to, uh, you know, create, you know, not having uh, mutations that go in the wrong way, which can obviously beget uh, chronic diseases like cancer. And, and so even with COVID, you know, it's a lot of it's about your body being able to uh, adapt and create the right bit of stuff such that you can maintain full function. Um, and there's a lot of interesting sort of ways or analogies I can bring to your uh, listeners around how to think about this in, a, in an organism sense so that they can apply it to, 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 to their own, uh, you know, lives. But, but that's essentially what aging is. Got it. Um, so poor fears and inactivity, they're the big factors, it seems, that are attributing to a lot of bad health in people's lives. Uh, I can attest my pandemic waistline is, shall we say, not where I want it to be. Um, yep. What other factors affect our ageing process in the big scale? So there's obviously a lot of lifestyle and environmental factors. There's also hereditary factors. You know, you can be predisposed to certain uh, risk factors because of the genes that you've inherited, uh, through the through your from your parents and from your ancestors, um, but whereas they used to think that you know what you're given is kind of your your sentence or you know what you what you you know the lottery um, that is, and that is your if you like uh, you know d- DNA your sequence uh, you know your genome that that you can get sequenced or genotyped with even the likes of twenty three and me you take a snip of your d- uh, genome. Um, that that doesn't change, right? So that is what it is. You may have certain gene variants that give you higher risk to certain diseases like cancer, breast cancer, and so on, or prostate cancer uh, and type two diabetes. Um, but that doesn't mean that, for, for, for one, that that means you're definitely going to uh, in, inherit those diseases. It just means that you have probabilistically a higher risk. Now, there's this other area which is becoming a hugely uh, sort of interesting area of of scientific research which is not the genome but the epigenome so the epigenome is essentially the expression of your genes and that is what uh, essentially genes turn on or off as a result of some interaction with stimuli whether that be the environment or lifestyle actions and so what that is it essentially changes that probability or set of probabilities such that you can reduce that probability or reduce risk of diseases and, of course, increase uh, the likelihood of staving off disease and, of course, staying healthier for longer. And that's the area that we're most interested in because, you know, you can measure it um, both using, you know, uh, DNA methylation expression, uh, which is a sample you can take from saliva. But you can also measure it, interestingly, and this is where it's really breakthrough, through less invasive ways of uh, technology digitally by looking at other extrapolated data sets that have essentially uh, modeled the same type of thing. Got you. Um, 
when we talk about your industry, anti-death, tech-manity and all of that sort of stuff, it, it is a huge industry, isn't it? It's more than $600 billion, um, according to Merrill Lynch. That was one of the stats I found. Um, there's a lot of focus on health right now for obvious reasons, um, but especially on tech, which is where a lot of data that you use um, in the app uh, comes from. What, in your opinion, is worth people's money? Is it Apple Watch? Is that the gold standard? What else do you rate um, people use? And I will talk about the Android app that it doesn't exist in a moment. <laughs> yeah, no worries. You, you cut out a little bit there, Paul, but hopefully you can hear me okay. Um, yeah, so wearables are obviously um, a huge uh, sort of growth area which you know, has developed immensely in the last 10 years, particularly in the last couple. And you've probably seen announcements like Whoop that have been valued for a couple of billion uh, just because of the, um, you know, and they're, and they're really targeting a niche uh, focused on athletes where they look at um, optimizing recovery windows so that you can train harder and, and push yourself faster. Um, but I'd say the best wearable uh, all round, if, if I had to give uh, the award to any of them, would be the Apple Watch purely and simply because it is the kind of uh, all singing and all dancing uh, sort of wearable that you can uh, monitor your heart rate. Um, you can, you know, it allows you to track workouts. It connects with Apple Health. Apple Health is an ecosystem uh, with a variety of apps that connect into it. Um, and there's a variety of different sensors and, and you know, ways of monitoring yourself, such as the echocardiogram and so on and blood oxygen. So it is the kind of all rounder. Um, but um, the, the most recent uh, sort of launch of Aura uh, sort of uh, version three uh, or third generation, I have to say, is, is giving it a proper run for its money because albeit kind of coming from the world of monitoring your sleep, which, by the way, I think it does a much better job of than, than the, uh, the watch. And frankly, a lot of people don't like wearing a watch uh, during their sleep time. Um, it also now monitors seven different temperature sensors, including, you know, if you're a woman who is trying for, for a baby, your menstrual cycle. Uh, and, and it can even give you an early uh, prediction of if you're likely to get uh, the cold or flu or, or even COVID. Um, but most interestingly, they now monitor your heart rate during the day as well as the night. And of course, the one thing that everyone loves is a battery that doesn't run out after a day or two. And, and theirs lasts about a week. So I would say uh, if you had to be really on the cool end, get an aura ring, uh, particularly the stealth because they just look super sexy. Um, but if you want the all rounder, go for the Apple Watch. Okay, good advice, good advice. I'm sure Apple will send you a check in the post. Um, are you a fan of, you, you use blood tests, you mentioned um, 23andMe and that sort of stuff. Are you a fan of things like Thriver, quarterly blood tests? Like people are afraid sometimes of giving their blood to people. Should they be worried about those sorts of services or can they be incredibly useful? No, I, I think they're, they're so, so fantastic. Um, I, I've been a, a, a customer of Thriver for many years. I'm not currently actively using them, but that's mainly because I'm taking a slightly different path in, in the way that I monitor my health. But but as a part of your health monitoring stack, I think that they provide a fantastic service and it's really easy to, to use. I think what we found in doing some uh, testing around uh, sort of home testing kits around blood blood monitoring is that certainly from an aging monitoring perspective, it, it's actually not a, a perfect solution. And, and there's a few reasons for that. One of the main, the, the, the most established way of monitoring your, your you know, core health and, and risk of disease and death from an aging perspective is your full blood count. And the various 
markers that are included in that. When you do a home testing kit, your white blood cell count and mean, wheel, uh, mean red cell distribution width, get it right, um, those sort of markers can uh, essentially not be accurate or, or die in in the in the sort of sense of you know when you measure them when they get to the lab if they're not there within 24 hours which means unless you're literally biking it straight to the lab and they're monitoring it on the same day or testing it on the same day um it, it, it's got a 30 failure rate so you can use blood spot cards of course for certain tests you know it's good for hormone tests good for vitamin tests or uh some sort of markers but from a holistic aging point of view it's much better to go into a lab and get your your sort of full bloods done, um, and then you'll get a much more uh, sort of comprehensive view of your your risk factors from a blood monitoring point of view. Uh, you then, of course, also have saliva or spit, uh, and and that is something that uh, thankfully is is much more uh, sort of it, it's it's much less likely to degrade. So it doesn't sort of have a uh, you know twenty four hour window where you have to get it to the lab. It can be it's it's pretty stable, um, and so that that is actually I think the future even for a lot of the the, the markers that you would normally use blood to, to monitor, and that's you know where we're probably going to be uh, focusing our efforts uh, first when we when we add a pro to humanity where you don't just monitor yourself digitally but you also monitor your cellular aging uh, from from your DNA. Very, very cool. I can't wait for that to sort of happen. I guess we can't talk about blood without mentioning Theranos, um, the startup that just didn't work with a lot of shadiness yeah. happening. Uh, let's put it. I'm sure if everybody wants, they can read the uh, newspapers and go back through uh, what, what happened with that company. But um, essentially, they were very bad people. Um, how much has Theranos scandal affected the health startup um, arena and VC landscape when it comes to health? I mean, I think it hasn't really affected things at all in the general scheme of things, other than to, uh, you know, be a, a cautionary tale to to ensure that you, you know, as an investor, when you're when you're investing in something that has uh, such a uh, a claim on on what it can do, you know, to do your due diligence. But I mean, if you look at the health, digital health in particular, uh, market uh, right now, I mean, it's never been more explosive in in growth and scale than, than ever in the past in fact in the last couple of years as you be, you can imagine with covid it's it's just had record after record and, and you know in in half the last year it was more than the whole of the previous year in terms of investment so i don't think it's affected the appetite um if anything i think you know anything that's reliant on something that's physical and you know has uh, a lot of mechanical aspects to it i think are you know perhaps less scalable in that sense there's a lot of you know amazing stuff that's happening now that's digital that's you know therefore very covid friendly in the sense that it's, you can do it remotely wherever you are it's very scalable uh, telemedicine is a great example anything that's ai driven you know that's really where we're seeing the future and and you know that's really a very big part of what we're doing with our data science team in in looking at the, the you know the combinatorial data sets and longitudinal data sets of real world outcomes and applying it to to solve problems that frankly uh, are, are, more, are more predictive than than you know what many clinical uh, practices would do uh, for you know diagnosing people even though that's not what we're doing we're we're very much on the health and wellness side and we're trying to give people you know feedback loops of how well they're doing but you know data science is the future 
Oh, uh, we haven't planned this because nobody knows the questions on mouthwash, but that does segue into my final question about aging. Um, AI machine learning are really what's driving a lot of change going on at humanity at the moment. Sounds like you've got a lot more bubbling under where more sort of physical stuff will come in, but again, going to need to be crunched. Um, the data we can now collect is massive, but it does need crunching. Um, are we just guinea pigs or, and are future generations just going to live longer with Alzheimer's or is there something different at play? I think it's something different at play. I think that, um, you know, there is some great open data frameworks that, in fact, the UK are quite at the forefront of. And, you know, there's a few uh, different organizations that are spearheading things to ensure that you protect data privacy, um, which should obviously be sacrosanct. But doing such in a way where you can create these federated works where the, the models can be trained on these synonymized data sets. Um, without in any way exposing the personally identifiable data. But, you know, what that is that we can start to, uh, you know, unlock uh, discoveries at a, a, an absolutely exponential rate in comparison to, you know, the last few days. And, and really with the goal of, of course, uh, coming up with, you know, new discoveries, whether it be vaccines, whether it be, uh, you know, anti-aging uh, remedies. Um, and, and frankly, if you look at the space in aging in particular, it's, it's pretty, you know, science fiction. You know, the things that they're already looking to, to be able to do on, on, you know, in human tests, let alone, you know, animal testing. So, I mean, I think the future is super bright, all of those areas. Uh, obviously, you need to have ethical AI and, 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 and there's, it's hard to, to regulate things that are, are not well understood by, you know, by the, the, the governments. Um, so it's very important that, you know, industry, you know, leads by example in that in the same way that you would with carbon, you know, uh, your carbon footprint and your, your you know, ESG policies. Um, you're, okay, let's talk about um, humanity specifically for a second. Um, give people an idea when they download the app, which is iOS only, which I'll be picking up with you in a second, hmm. um, yep. what, they, what they should expect and sort of go through and that sort of thing. It is not an endless array of questions, um, but obviously you need some data. Yeah, so the, I mean, the first thing that we try to do is give the the user, first time user, a, a feedback loop of understanding how well they're aging based on you know some limited information. And so we uh, we essentially do that by asking the same questions that were asked of a, a real life uh, study of two hundred thirty thousand people. Uh, you know, were monitored for for decades, and based on those questions, uh, were tracked to see what happened to these people, who got sick, who died. Um, and and therefore we can essentially plot, you know, on a scale, uh, your risk propensity to to that cohort of, of study participants. That, what we call the index model is your first, you know, uh, crack of the whip. Uh, you get to maybe see why this is quite a powerful bit of information. And then what we then do, um, which is obviously uh, to, to the user consent, is uh, to connect to Apple Health, connect to your uh, movement data, heart rate patterns, if you happen to have a heart rate monitored uh, wearable, albeit it's not required. Uh, it's incredibly accurate, relatively speaking, just based on your accelerometer sensor in your phone, your smartphone. Uh, and from that, again, we can get a signature of your uh, essentially rate of aging and biological age to that of 100,000 participants from the UK Biobank who were monitored with accelerometers and heart rate sensors, again, decades ago, so that we can compare that signature to, you know, what 
people's movement and heart rate patterns were back then. And essentially what we then do, and that's part of the main part of the service, is we recalculate against those uh, data points to see what trajectory you're on. So whatever you're doing, is it working to get you you know, in a better state or is it moving you further away? And then the, the app's whole sort of function is to navigate you to the optimum version of yourself, a little bit like the Waze traffic app navigates you from point A to B based on what other people who took a similar journey before you uh, did. And we just use data uh, science to uh, predict you, your, your, your most optimal path and recalculate if you don't take you know, the, the things that we recommend. You mentioned biobanks there. Just in case people aren't familiar, what are they and um, what are they enabling us to do? So biobanks are perhaps one of the best sort of gifts of humanity from science, which is, you know, a lot of institutions uh, backed by governments had the foresight, you know, many, many moons ago to start uh, inviting people from the, the general population across representation of different you know people so in the uk it's, it's great because it's quite broad uh, you know in terms of gender in terms of ethnicity uh, and different types of phenotypes um, and really uh, invited them to participate in this in this uh, st- uh, ongoing study where your bloods are taken uh, other biomarkers like your your movement patterns your heart rate patterns and so on and essentially all these are seen as potential predictors and then over time you can then see what outcomes uh, you know, happen from those participants, you know, because of essentially, you know, there'll be some people in their 30s, 40s, 50s who 10, 10 20, 30 years later will uh, start to become susceptible to disease and, and unfortunately die. Um, and there, there's, you know, a great way for us to then understand, well, let's look back in the past and let's see the trajectory of those biomarkers and see what happened. And it's those uh, that in many cases are continuing and they're adding new layers of you know uh, data on top as they grow uh, where companies like ourselves can apply to you know get a a license to to you know essentially run models on those data sets to see um you know whether you know the people that are now using humanity in our case are actually uh, faring well against those participants and there are many of these biobanks around the world you know there's the estonian biobank there's enhanes in the states or Dunedin study in new zealand and they all have a slightly different uh, focus. Uh, when I was looking uh, at the data, I think it, I can't remember who it was, um, but that, anyway, there was a, a huge report on them, um, and I, I didn't realise how many there actually were. I thought there would be like a few, but there's actually almost probably like 150. It's oh, uh, no. different different it's, focuses and that. It's incredible, and and you know we are becoming uh, essentially a biobank in our own right. So as we scale, as we get tens of millions, hundreds of millions of users who opt in to, you know, take samples and, and, and help humanity contribute their, uh, you know, their data, uh, and not synonymized, of course, uh, to, to help us all understand what, what's causing us to age, we will be able to unlock the, the secrets to, you know, what's working, not just for people in general, which is great from a general population, the sort of level uh, feedback loop, but actually much more interestingly, people like you. Um, and that's really, I think, the biggest contribution we can make to the space. Because if you look at the, the gold standard of, of clinical trials, which are, you know, placebo, double blind, you know, people are being tested against one particular uh, variable. 
And you, you know, a good example could be, you know, high intensity interval training. Is it, is it slowing your aging? And yeah, mm-hmm. well, um, based on this study of 150 people, 70% of people saw an improvement in their biomarkers. Great. What does it say about the 30% that it didn't help? Did it actually make it worse? And what about the other study where it was 50% or 55%? Why are there differences? Why is it not consistently the same number? And that's because everyone's different. And, you know, some people can take one action and it can harm them. Some can take one action and it can, it can help them. So it's really about unpicking that and really trying to help you understand what's working for you. Mm. Um, you, uh, for some reason, you have not said um, all of the scientists and people that you brought together to create humanity. Do you want to name drop some of the people <laughs> you brought together? I mean, sure. I mean, we have some, some, you know, absolute rock star scientists who, you know, we've been pretty much, uh, uh, you know, idols of, of ever, ever since we, we got into this, uh, this space, people like George Church, uh, who's out, back, out in Harvard Medical, he, he helped, you know, people like Craig Venter map the human, human genome. You know, he, he's very much one of the sort of visionaries that looked at the impact, the, what, what genomics could do to unlock you know, predictive health. We've got people uh, like Kristen Fortney, who's the CEO of BioAge, which is an Andreessen Horowitz-backed uh, company that's doing drug discovery for aging. So very much looking at how we can use machine learning and these biobank data sets to better understand and create drugs, or repurpose drugs to to slow, you know, aging uh, paradigms and, revert and, and rejuvenate health. Um, and, and, you know, and, and there's plenty of others you know, that, that I could mention, um, you know, everyone from Tony Escu, who's kind of very much heading up things in the Estonian biobank, um, you know, to, um, you know, to, to many others that I, I would, I would, I could, I could probably talk for another half an hour about the rest of them. But I, I think you get the sense that, that, you know, this is the type of caliber of people that we're, we're, we're calling our mentors. Yeah, you you spent some money on some on some very smart people, which I think is a very very good way of doing it. I mean, um, yeah, it, it, in many cases they're volunteering their, their support for us. So, um, but but yeah, we're we're very grateful for that, and, and we, we you know we, we're trying to invest the, keep them invested as well because as a as a way to, to show our appreciation. Crikey, well that's good karma points. Who's slacking you at this late night? Jesus Christ, they must know you've got kids. Crikey, um, do apologise. No, no worries. Um, it really does um, fill me with hope that we're moving into an area of um, personal medicine um i've i've seen it personally when i've done 23 and me and other things very early on what it can actually do and the changes it can make um i know it's not true for everyone around the world but a lot are lucky enough to get access to this sort of stuff how can we democratize health and aging um even more yeah so one of our values is radical inclusion and you know we really stand by that that we think that too many of the health uh, in, in, in you know interventions and, and innovations are either targeted for the, the few uh, or the wealthy, uh, white middle class, you know, um, Americans in their 50s who have, you know, who can throw their money at doing all of these advanced tests and full body MRIs and, and you know, microbiomes and, and full, full, full whole genome sequencing and, and whatnot. Now, that's great for people that want to, you know, uh, you know help provide scientists with these uh, these data sets that can you know, hopefully trickle down and help the, the many but you know we're going to be waiting a long time if we're going to take that approach where people have to you know we have to wait for the people to spend the hundreds or the thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars to to, to do that so where we think you know uh, we can democratize health and where we're seeing a lot of the, the the you know the innovations is is frankly in digital biomarkers and the way in which uh, everybody is starting to 
you know, take, uh, you know, an active interest in monitoring their health. Um, when people ask me, what is the one thing you can do to slow your aging? It, they, they expect me to think really snazzy, like, you know, they should do, a, um, you know, red light therapy or, you know, fasting. And, and yes, all these things are great. But actually, the number one thing they can do is, is just monitor themselves. And by monitoring themselves, they're, they're providing both a service to themselves because they can start to understand what's working and what's happening. Um, you know, with, with, with data insight. But if they participate in these studies or these services that are, are, are trying to, you know, like aggregate some of these insights so that we can get not just an N of one, but an N of, you know, uh, multiple sig statistical significance in people like you, then really what we're doing is we're, we're, we're contributing to the solution the same way that, you know, the, the blockchain economy and decentralization is, you know, the people own the internet uh, instead of the centralized content social media aggregators who, you know, currently run the internet, which is Web2. You know, it's like the, 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 the health democratization is the equivalent of the decentralization of the web. It's about how we can uh, empower people to take control of their health and, and monitor themselves and then contribute those data insights to humanity so that we can all learn faster and help each other. Um, when's the Android version coming? I feel class citizen now. I've got a pixel, <laughs> even though it's one of the most powerful phones on the planet. <laughs> well, Paul, we love to create a sense of anticipation. And so, um, you know, at the same time, we don't like to, to keep you awake for too long. So it is in the works. We are looking to launch something early next year. Um, the reason we haven't, it's purely and simply, is that we wanted to put every drop of blood, sweat and tears into creating the best possible first version of humanity test that out on a group of users in that ecosystem um, and, and you know make it best in class for somebody who, who is is using that that particular um, you know channel uh, uh, to access their their, their their health data and, and and learn more from it so we are fully intending to launch Android uh, and of course Android related devices uh, so uh, stay tuned um, and just keep an eye on uh, you know the the sort of social channels and, and we'll be updating people as as and when it's available. Excellent. Only a couple of billion people to go after. I like that. Um, <laughs> uh, you, well, we've we've already Benjamin buttoned mice. Is that right? That's already been proven. Um, what's next? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you've kind of uh, put a leading question forwards. I mean, will we Benjamin button ourselves? I mean, ethically speaking and, you know, uh, you talk to a transhumanist and they'll be like, well, we're not even going to do that. We're just going to like become, you know, uh, part machine. And, and, you know, whether that means uploading ourselves to the, to the, to the matrix or, or, you know, just becoming a, a sort of uh, augmented being. Um, but I do think we are going to see a huge amount of rejuvenation therapies. Uh, I do think that there'll be a time when you can, you know, literally, uh, have like a vaccine equivalent and it will essentially protect you from uh, ever getting certain types of diseases like we take for granted now with with you know infectious diseases um, and that's simply because you know we're, we're starting to understand the, uh, the you know the systems the frameworks in the body that actually uh, cause you know those 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 you know, changes to happen you know there's there are gene longevity genes that you know go to work when when things start going wrong in the body um, and we're starting to understand those processes, uh, which, you know, is, is what is, you know, causing the fabric of life to, you know, to be, to be, you know, uh, re reimagined. 
Um, you know, they've already shown that they can essentially take a cell back to its pluripotent stem cell uh, sort of origin, which means that they can technically reverse a cell from being an aged cell to a young cell. You know, we've all seen cloning of, of you know, animals, and that's, that's from an old animal creating a, a young version of the same animal. So there's no, there's no you know, technical scientific reason why we can't reverse ourselves to a younger version of ourselves. Whether we choose to take that path or whether we, you know, maybe uh, stop the, 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 the sort of degrading process from getting worse. And then, you know, of course, we can't stop you being hit from a bus. Um, but I do think that um, that is not going to be, you know, in the next 10 years. I think that, that we're going to see things like, you know, solving arthritis or solving uh, certain, you know, uh, diseases that we, we, we currently can't, uh, we can't resolve. You know, we're already seeing it in cancers. Uh, we will see it with things like Alzheimer's, but, but I think it's, you know, it's, it's accelerating at a clip. So, you know, in our lifetimes, I think we're going to, we're going to be looking at this as being like a real sort of hyper growth, uh, stage of innovation when it comes to, to, you know, these health, uh, health breakthroughs. Mm. Um, you, you mentioned it's early days, and I know you've not been going around for you know decades. But it's I've got to, I'd be shot if I didn't ask. What is the science telling you so far? Is there anything unexpected that most people should be doing or doing less of or doing more of to age better? You know, I think um, there's no uh, you know there's no sort of golden rule that it, this is the the one thing you can definitely do. There is a lot of evidence to show there's a bunch of things that that seem to have a, a you know, a big effect. And the, 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 the most uh, biggest impactful things you can do, are the things that are not so, not necessarily the most sex, but they're the things that, you know, many of us already know. It's just about um, making sure that you, you, you do those things. So when it comes to, uh, you know, the low lying fruit, it's, it's moving more, you know, not being so sedentary, you know, not sitting on your, and essentially not getting up and, and going for a walk or, you know, trying to find a lazy way to, to do that, whether it be on a walking desk, you know, so you, if, you, if you're a desk job, getting a walking pad or walking machine, having a stand up desk, these things can have, you know, a real positive effect on, on your mobility um, and, and therefore get your heart rate up. And, and that, you know, we've seen in our data that it is definitely correlated with, you know, reducing risk. Then you have, of course, uh, nutrition. Now, there's a huge swathe of people telling you do this diet, do that diet. Interestingly, what we're seeing is that it's less about what diet you do per se. The Mediterranean diet probably has the most evidence of being good from a health span point of view, or you know, plant more plant based than, than 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 you know, as long as you have a varied diet. But actually, um, it's a lot more about what you include in your diet and when you eat. So, for example, timing uh, is is a, is, a, is a key paradigm. So how long you can uh, go without eating. So your fasting periods, obviously not for too long. For, you know, if you're not healthy, you've got to check with your doctor and before you try any of these things. But, but fasting has a huge amount of evidence, both in mammals and in humans. It's just that it hasn't been done in humans for decades of, of time. So we, you know, the jury's out on how much of an effect it's going to have. But if you look at it on uh, mammals, it's, it's clearly having a 10, 20, 25% you know, improvement in health span, lifespan. Uh, so looking at that, um, also, uh, mental health, cognitive health, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of things. Meditation is, is a key one, you know, just being more in touch with, uh, your mood and, and, you know, how you feel and, 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 and trying to not, you know, bottle things up, stress, trauma, 
but which by, by the way can also be passed down epigenetically um, you know so it's important that you you address these things and try to to you know practice things like affirmations journaling is all things that you let's say tactics do there's not any hard evidence that these things that by per se help but there is evidence in studies like the harvard study that show that you know the number one thing that can increase your health span is the quality and quantity of your of your social relationships you know your friends and your family and your your sleep you know it's it's a key ingredient it's where you you rejuvenate you know you you allow yourselves to uh, rejuvenate as well uh, if, if there was some kind of overarching sort of paradigm you know people like um, which is very interesting and it's more you know my personal interest rather than what we've proven out yet through hope humanity but we're certainly going to be experimenting with some of these uh, things is the sorts of things that people like david sinclair from lifespan if you read the book Lifespan, he'll he'll give you a good sense of what he's found in the lab, and we've met him many times in in Harvard. Great yeah, great book, and you know, I, I think there's a really nice. He does a really good job of bringing you know longevity to the layman and and helping us all understand why this is such an exciting area. You know, and and if you've read that, Paul, you'll know he'll talk about the survival circuit and how we all have this you know ancestral circuit that essentially is. Uh, you know, inbuilt ourselves, kind of, you know, protect ourselves to, to to reproduce or survive. And and there's these paradigms like going about food, so putting a bit of acute stress, not chronic, but, you know, minor stress on the body, uh, which actually causes your cells to start themselves, rejuvenating, it's called autophagy. And that is known to be an effective way to stave off, um, you know, cellular death. Uh, it's the same with you know, has uh, from hot and cold uh, exposure. You know, sort of Wim Hof method. You know, all these sorts of things. So, the more the biohackers are doing, uh, again, there's not a huge amount of like you know long uh, longitudinal studies on this, but there is good. There's a good sort of uh, let's say prognosis to think that these things could have an effect as well. You know, it builds up a lot uh, a, a certain sort of um, grey matter or, or, or brown. Uh, matter in your skin which which is meant to be good for um, you know uh, longevity as well so there's things like that where exercise you know a bit of stress on the body you know that that's a great natural senolytic uh, fasting you know not not snacking all these things you know not calorie restricting but doing it in a way which you're not feeling hungry all the time because no one wants to do that um looking after your mental health and, 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 you know, alleviating stress and of course getting the recovery and, and the sleep that you need. And then, yeah, I think uh, where we go next and all those other things that we could be doing, who knows, you know, there's, there's a whole world out there and, you know, people are taking, you know, NMD supplements and fisetin and, you know, red light therapy and all these other stuff, but you know, that's the new frontier and that's the stuff we're going to be testing and experimenting to see what effect it has. Um, I could be really kind and just go straight into your desert island tweet because that was a very perfect answer to answer on. But I do want an answer to this question. Um, it's meaty, so sit down for it. Um, traditionally, we are taught to see death as a natural part of life, a sort of end point, as it were, depending on what belief system you go for. Um, there's a moral argument and a big meta theory with death and life extension, I think, um, from an economic 
point of view, you've got problems with pensions, healthcare costs, longevity risks, um, not to mention the people that talk about overpopulation. Um, there's also a quite sinister arm of it, which is biological warfare. We do gene editing and that sort of stuff. There's also issues with when people retire, what ages, and morality around it, amongst other things and that sort of stuff. What's your point of view on all of that? Do you see humanity as identification into sort of real management areas? You know, it's it's a great uh, question, and and of course it invites all sorts of philosophers and you know, epi- epidemiologists and and people that want to you know throw in their their sort of perspective on what's you know maybe ethically right and wrong. I think first of all, there's a few um, misconceptions. You know, people uh, think, well, why should we? Uh, why should we keep people on this planet for longer when we've already got too many people on this planet and, you know, we're parasites and, you know, we're, we're, we're killing the planet. So why should we do that? Um, well, firstly, from a purely uh, economic point of view, you know, people like David Sinclair and, and uh, Andrew J. Scott who's in, in the UK and London Business School is a, a very respected economist, has shown that just increasing one year of health span would lead to over 300 billions worth of value, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, economic value. Um, and, and it's trillions if you look at it over, uh, you know, a decade. Um, so that, that in itself is, 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 you know, is something to sort of, you know, remember. Uh, of course, there's also the fact that birth rate is the thing that really affects population growth, not death rate. Um, and that is in some cases in the Western world starting to decline. And, and of course, there is... Um, there is obviously a lot of things that we can do to be a lot more eco-conscious and sustainable and, and in abundance with the planet rather than uh, seeing it as, uh, you know, if you think about the way that the energy sector is moving with renewable energy and, and how there's a lot of ways that technology will save us and solve these problems. Um, and, and I think that that is going to happen, but too late. So, you know, I, I personally think that it's a great debate. I, I think that the, the, you know, the metaphors of, you know, would you, would you save, you know, I think that I, think that I read this on a, a, recently, which was like, if you had a plane of people who had this disease that when they land uh, on the ground, they're going to infect everybody else on the, uh, in the world, uh, do you shoot down the plane um, to, to save everybody else? Um, or do you let them land because you know there's an ethical, there's an ethical dilemma of you know you know do you want to like uh, kill these people? Well, the, the funny thing about that analogy is that, that that everyone who's on the ground has that disease. That's, it's called aging. You know, we're all dying. We we're all dying of this of this uh, you know this this thing that we can't solve, and it's better for us to understand it as being something uh, that we can't solve, so that we so that we don't get disappointed. But, you know, once upon a time, we couldn't fly. Um, you know, there was no such thing as airports. And now we have spaceports. Um, you know, you can argue they're not the best for the environment, but they're also pushing the frontiers of what, you know, what's possible with humanity. And I think I take the view that humanity, you know, is, you know, is, is an incredible species that will uh, both protect uh, and, and create solutions for each other in the end. You know, and I think that technology uh, will be a big part of that solution. And so, you know, I, I think on a humanitarian level, I think we, we have a duty to, at the very least, try to stop people from dying before their time. You know, because I think that that is probably the biggest gift that we can give uh, to our loved ones, um, you know, other than saving the, the, the home that we live in. 
I love that answer. All right. Um, fair enough. Right. It is time for your Desert Island tweet, the part of mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that's changed their mind or way of thinking in some way. So if you turn your attention to the nest, um, Pete has very kindly picked a tweet from the mighty Chris Sacker. Uh, if you want to follow him, it's at Sacker, S-A-C-C-A. Uh, and the tweet reads, we are all in serious trouble. And then he links to a Fastback Mix uh, page about how climate change is changing. Um, why did you pick this one, Pete? Well, first of all, I love the play on words because, you know, if you read it slowly, it's like we're all in, um, but we're all in serious trouble um, is really just to, to remind ourselves that unless we do something, we are F-U-C-K-E-D. And, you know, what I like about Chris and what he's done since that tweet, you know, is, you know, he's just raised a an incredibly uh, large fund to un-F-U-C-K the planet. Um and, you know, it's people like him and the boldness that, that you know, people like that are saying, we're going to do something about this and put our money where our mouth is, that made me realize and my co-founder realized that, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, that we all do. It's kind of like of how many hours have we all spent watching or reading about Trump? And then what have we actually done about it? You know, it's kind of entertainment, but it's the same with global warming. If we're just reading about how terrible the state of the planet is, then we're not really changing things. So, yes. We need to lead by example in the actions that we take. And everyone has a different spectrum of that. Some people won't fly a plane anymore. Others will offset their carbon, you know, because that's not practical for their, the way they want to live their life and so on. But, you know, people like Chris and now me and now my co-founder are now, you know, investing in the next generation of, of startups that will, you know, solve this problem. And, and I do believe that, that, that we will solve this problem uh, and we can't rely on governments. I think it's been clear to see that you know, whatever decisions and agreements are made in a, uh, in a, in a summit is not going to change things. It, what will change things is we come up with a way to, you know, scale a profitable and uh, eco-friendly solution that, that makes, you know, that, that makes people uh, back that, that, that sort of solution because it is actually a better solution. Um, and that's why technology will save us. Oh, a rousing end. I like that. Um, I think that's a good place and sentiment to leave the conversation tonight. Thank you for being a part of Mouthwash, Pete. I really appreciate um, you coming on and also what you're doing with humanity. I'm excited for it to come to Android, let me tell you. Um, any <laughs> final pleasure. thoughts or advice for listeners when it comes to ageing better? Just keep monitoring yourself. Um, you know, Stay uh, and uh, don't take yourself too seriously. Um, try and focus on the things you can do every day slightly differently um, and then just, you know, see what effect it has on you, you know, both how you feel and, and hopefully if you're monitoring yourself, you'll start to see, you know, am I sleeping better? You know, am I, am I, is my mental mood better? Um, you know, just, just start to play around with some stuff and see, see, what, see what comes out of it. Brilliant. Okay, doke. Thank you very much. Um, right. I've had an amazing cohort of people on uh, Mouthwash this season. Big tech entrepreneurs, designers, speechwriters, bestselling authors um, to healthcare specialists. It's uh, If it's important uh, to be a better person with all the planet, we've talked about it. Um, seeing us out for season three is the amazing David Bodanis uh, tomorrow. He's doing the storyteller and author of his latest book, The Art of Fairness. It's getting rave reviews, so I definitely recommend you uh, tuning in. Uh, if you want an SMS reminder, just head over to mouthwash.norby.live uh, and you'll get one uh, as soon as we go live tomorrow and every time we go live on Mouthwash. Once again, my thanks to the superb Peter Warb. Follow him on Twitter at P-E-T-A 
W-A-R-D, or check out the Humanity website at humanity.health, or nip to the App Store and download it today. Try it for yourself. Uh, please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for Peter as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thank you for joining. Uh, thanks for Ecology for planting a tree for every one of you. And thanks to Spaces Dashboard for helping good audio be found. I've been Paul Armstrong. This has been Mouthwash. Fresh chat that leaves you confident only on Twitter Spaces. Thank <laughs> you.